Tuesday afternoon, uh, I was sitting at my desk, and I started sweating bullets. I started hearing this high-pitched noise coming from my computer. And when I look at the screen, what do I see? The spin wheel of death. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's this rainbow spin wheel that just keeps going, telling you it's processing your information. But really, it's processing how it's going to destroy your life in the next 10 seconds. <laughs> I had a pretty crazy week. Um, a lot of things to do. You, plenty of you know that, that situation in your lives. And all I can think of is, oh no, I need someone, anyone who can fix this. Someone who can counteract this technological terrorism. Someone who can save my data and get me back on track. Well, it turns out that my hard drive was fried. I mean, just absolutely fried. And so I go into the Apple store, but it turns out that no techie at the Genius Bar could save my information. It was just too far gone. And as soon as he said, sorry, Ann, your hard drive is right. My imagination, as some of you may know, is really crazy. And it instantly, in microseconds, jumped to this superhero, right? This superhero who's kind of like Superman, but he's more scrawny and he has a bow tie. And, and when, when the spin wheel of death pops up on your computer screen, it's like the spotlight for Batman and Gotham. He shows up, and no hard drive is too destroyed for him to save your well, the further I went down this rabbit trail in my mind, probably looking like an idiot before the computer genius, uh, I realized why nobody's made a movie about this guy. Because it's a really lame storyline. It's kind of like, oh wow, he does what the cloud does if you just remember to back up your computer. Excellent! Really good, really good. Well, regardless of some lame superhero stories we've heard, we all love superheroes. I mean, ever since we were kids, we've loved, we've loved how they have all these crazy gadgets with these superhuman powers, whether it's a green ring that makes anything that comes to the mind of Green Lantern, or a magic whip of Wonder Woman, or the superhuman speed of the Flash, right? We could go on with lists after lists after lists. We love superheroes. And it seems that Hollywood could put out a blockbuster every month, and we'll still funnel all of our weekend fund money to go see another superhero movie. Like the new Superman, Superman movie, which I still haven't seen, but what I've heard is good, right? It's like the 30th one or something like that. But I'll still go see it, because I love superheroes. And even if superheroes aren't your thing, it just seems to be that we love good stories of heroes. I mean, I haven't worn my Batman pajamas, and I don't know how long, <laughs> longer than I'll ever let you know since I've worn Batman pajamas. But we still love good hero stories. Almost every one of our favorite stories, whether it be our favorite book or our favorite movie, is the story of a hero or an anti-hero. Everywhere we're looking for heroes. I mean, you, you look at pro athletes as heroes, but then they let us down. You look at people you respect and they just never measure up to perfection because they're human. Or we look at politicians, right? This is why our conversations get so dicey, because we're not just looking for a person. We're looking for a superhero. Someone who can save us economically, someone who can protect us globally, and so on. And the reason we're all looking for superheroes in the first place is because we know that we can't do it ourselves. Whatever that it is, we feel inadequate. And you're praying for a hero. Now some of us, we might be too proud to admit that we need a hero, but you get locked inside a burning building, and you can't find a way out. You're praying for find yourself in the hospital because your kid is stuck there for the past two weeks and they can't find a cure for his cancer, 
you better believe you're praying for hero. Or you find yourself so deeply, uh, so deeply entrenched in debt that you're overwhelmed with anxiety, always wondering how you're going to ever get yourself out. You're praying for a hero. You see, this longing, it's written deep down within our DNA. We're broken, we're limited creatures. We're bound for death, yet we're, we're craving for something more, aren't we? We're craving for a hero, someone to rescue us from the brokenness we experience. And I'm convinced that we are so obsessed with heroes and hero stories, you know, this ultimate battle against good, or good versus evil, with good winning out. And every culture has it. And the reason we're so obsessed is every one of these hero stories is an echo of the great big God story of redemption. You see, DC and Marvel comics were the first ones to invent superheroes. But every culture has had their heroes, but they all are just a dim reflection the hero we were designed for. But here's the difference. What kind of hero do you expect? We expect someone who's strong. We expect somebody who's popular, who's good-looking, who's charismatic, or she or he. Whatever the case may be, they're, 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 they're very attractive, and we have these concrete pictures of what this hero should look like. But here's the difference that we find in God's word, in his story, is that the hero we need most Quite frankly, quite frankly, the hero we least expect. The hero we need most is the hero we least expect. And this morning, we're going to look in the three passages that Claire read for us this morning in Scripture. We're in the book of Isaiah as we journey through the, the Bible together as a community across our four campuses. And here, in these three chapters in Isaiah, we see our longings and Scripture's promises describing the ultimate hero. Isaiah, he's this brilliant poet. He's an artist who paints pictures with his words. It's, you know, when we, were, we spent a while in the poetic books, right? Well, when you step into the prophecy, the, the poetry doesn't stop, except it just has a little more confrontation, a little more bite in it. The images that come out of the pages look like they're going to bite us in the neck rather than bring us to contemplation. And here, Isaiah, he, he paints three pictures, the hero we expect hero we need, the hero we have, the hero we expect, the hero we need, and the hero we have. But before we move on, it's important that we remember Isaiah's vocation was to be a prophet. So I want to say a quick word about prophecy in scripture. We've got a lot of misconceptions about what that means. Um, we sometimes can view prophecy like a fortune cookie. We break it open, it's clear, it's easy, it has a direct connection to exactly what we're trying to Whereas, that's not how prophecy works. It's much more full of mystery. The prophets, they would proclaim these grand visions and try to proclaim what God is doing and will do in the world, but it was also still coded with much mystery, which is why so many people missed Jesus when he came. I remember one of my professors at seminary he used to say this about the promises of Scripture, and he'd say it with this thick Dutch accent, you know. He's a little man, really kind, and he would Dutch jokes. But he would say the promise of God cannot be reduced to predictions. A prediction limits the word to a particular fulfillment, whereas a promise unfolds progressively over time. A promise like a rolling snowball in momentum and significance. And then he would say, Do you hear me? You know. <laughs> he would say, We hear you, Dr. Van Gemmer. Instead of seeing 
that every promise has this direct and exclusive connection to Jesus, it's much more helpful to view them as promises which Jesus ultimately fulfills. He captures them all, and he's the climax of the promise of the prophecies. So instead of breaking open a fortune cookie, we're looking at a mountain range. When you look at the Rockies, for example, from far away, you tend to focus on the peaks. You don't see all the details, and you certainly can't see what lies between the mountains. You can't even tell which peaks are farther or closer. You just see one thing, that they're beautiful, that they're majestic, that they capture you with awe. And this is what we see with the promises of Scripture. That's a lot more like biblical prophecy. Isaiah's promises, which were written down 700 years before Jesus stepped onto the scene here on earth, they paint this beautiful picture of the hero we long for. There may be others who resemble bits and pieces of these promises, but there's no cake more majestic, more perfect than Jesus. So remember, as we step into this passage, passages this morning. Remember, the hero we need most is the hero we least expect. So Isaiah, he begins in describing our hero as the kind of hero we might expect. He's a conquering king and a just judge. In Isaiah 9, we see our first description. Our hero, he's described as this conquering king. Here is a promised hero we get excited about. For to us, child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. We many times we read this text during Christmas, right? And it's usually coupled with another in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where we see that this child is born of a virgin. Why at Christmas? Because 700 years later, this promise is that the 700 years after the promise is given, Jesus' birth is described in the exact same way. He's born of a virgin, He's a gift to the world. He's not just any average child, but he's a gift to us. In his rule, evil will be destroyed, good will reign supreme, and joy will characterize every square inch of the world. What will people call him? This hero? Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Every square inch of the world will be under his reign, such that peace will last. Terrorism. No more injustice, no more war, no more sin, no more pain, no more abuse, but whole people living whole lives forever. And Isaiah 9 continues by saying, On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness or rightness from this time forth and forevermore. And how will it be accomplished? The zeal of the Lord of hosts do it. Or better yet, what does that phrase mean? For us, it's Yahweh. It's his personal name. Whenever we find the word in all caps, Yahweh, God over the angel armies, will enthusiastically make it happen. He's purposed towards this end. And this is the hero we long for, isn't it? This is the hero we expect a good God to bring or to be. And this is the great example of one of those mountain range promises. The child Jesus was born 700 years later. And it's been fulfilled, but there are more peaks in the distance. We still long for the conquering king to fully establish this kind of kingdom, this kingdom on the earth, to rid the world of all that's nasty, all that's mean, all that's destructive, all that destroys us and our families and our countries. 
long for one who bring peace that will know no end and bring wholeness to a broken and fragmented world. These are the kind of heroes that grab us today, right? And we hear the echoes of this hero in many of the stories that we read or that we watch. You can see it in Aslan, right? The rightful king of Narnia. Aragorn, Aragorn, actually. The rightful king of Middle-earth where Batman defeating evil in Gotham. Superman rooting out evil in the metropolis. We expect them to win over evil. This is our thought. This is what we long for. But not only that, we also expect this kind of hero to be a just judge. How many times do we look at the world and we just say, that's not just doesn't seem fair that that happened. I was just with a couple of Children's Mercy right here downtown. Their boy is back in the hospital after 16 months, just little Isaac. He's been battling with cancer, and they thought they had it beat. And this time it wasn't even cancer that brought him to the hospital, but bacteria that's slowly shutting down his organs because his immune system is so low. When you see their pain, and you see little Isaac on a respirator, you go, this isn't fair. Right? There are people also that are destroying parts of the planet for financial gain, and the whole world is feeling the effects of climate change. And we say, that's not fair. We also have neighbors here in our city in the urban core living in generational poverty, stuck in cycles of destruction because of past wrongs against their community. And we say, that's not fair. So we cry out with the psalmist, how long? How long will you sit back and watch? Will there be anyone who will stand up for justice? Who will make all these wrongs right? And if we ever have felt the blows of injustice ourselves, our friends who have felt the blows of injustice, we cry out these cries. We know that a hero that's worth anything to anyone will do something about this situation, right? He's not going to sit back and watch. And deep down, we long and expect a just judge. In Isaiah's vision, in chapter 11, verse 3, he sees a descendant of the ancient king David doing exactly this. Even though the Davidic royal line was thought to have been cut off, exterminated, annihilated, out of the stump, there's a shoot that will come. This hero, as we read in Isaiah 11, 3, says, or will, will, shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. With righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. His justice can't be bought by bribes. His justice can't be swayed by smooth-talking criminals. But by his very breath, the abused find an advocate and freedom. The abusers are destroyed. I mean, it's this sort of just rule that transforms all of creation that we see here in Isaiah's vision. The weak are protected rather than oppressed. And it's pictured by cows becoming really friendly with bears, you know? Lions have suddenly become vegans. And kids are hanging out with cobras. I mean, what kind of world is this? This doesn't relate with anything that we experience. Once there was bloodshed, fear, death, and now there's peace. What about this hero? Because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh. 
the Lord, all caps. This is a generic God, whoever we want to be God, but this is the Lord, Yahweh, the one who has brought his people out of Egypt through the Exodus, the one who has guided his people throughout the wilderness, the God who also sent his son Jesus Christ to come, this God. Knowledge will be all over the world like, and here's the poetic imagery, of the water covers So we cry out, yes. Come, O great hero, come and save us. We want a world like this. We want a conquering king. We, we expect a just judge. We want a God who will confront evil. He's not afraid of evil, but goes in and rights wrongs. Of course we expect him in long run to be slow to anger, compassionate, and gracious, but also one who will rule in unswerving justice to punish the wicked of the world, like the Hitlers, the Bin Ladens, the neighbor who lets his dog poop on your lawn. I mean, the world needs to be made right, right? So come, O oh great hero. Come and establish your kingdom. Rid the world of evil and selfish people. Clean it up from those who care more about themselves than they do the community. But we have to pause. When we start cheering for this kind of hero, we have to, we have to say, wait a second. Because there's a big problem, huge problem, and that's you and me. None of us are really fit for a kingdom like this. None of us sitting in here can fit into this kind of reign. I know myself, I'm self-centered, I'm self-absorbed, and I can be downright hostile at times, but I want something. And I know you guys are a lot better than I am. But I know that about myself. But heroes, they protect the innocent. Heroes, they, they, they fight the enemy, but we look a lot more like the enemy than we ever have a hero, right? We manipulate others to gain power. We twist the truth to feel important. We ignore God's design to try to fulfill our desires and leave wreckage in our wake. People, this kind of hero, this just judge and conquering king, he isn't good news for us. Not yet. I'm going to butcher this name, but Solzhenitsyn, a man who, who suffered terribly in the Russian gulag in, in the early 20th century, he summarizes the reality of all of us being broken. He says it perfectly. He says, if only there were evil people somewhere, insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart Who's willing to destroy peace in his own heart? Hear me out. We're in big trouble. We can't avoid the judgment of this hero who is to come. Unless, unless God finds a way to destroy what's evil and broken within us without destroying us in totality. A theologian of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, he writes, whether we like it or not, God intends to give us what we need not what we now think we want. So I ask you, what do you really need? We need a hero that's bigger than the one we expect. So how else is this hero described? Well, he's described as a hated sufferer, someone who, who experiences abuse. Throughout these first two passages, he's one who brings righteousness, he's one who brings justice. But here, takes on our unrighteousness. Here he becomes the victim 
of injustice. And it's harder to bring to mind a popular example of a hero that fits that scheme, right? I mean, this is the last thing we'd expect, but the very first thing we need. We want someone who's strong, not weak. We want someone who's celebrated, not hated. But only if this is true. Only if this is true, that he was a hated sufferer, could this hero ever be good news for us. This kind of hero, he doesn't draw a lot of press. Um, actually, the writer, uh, the gospel writer, John, says of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 10, that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. What hero you know fits that kind of description? Well, Isaiah picks up, and this is exactly how he describes our hero. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, he says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He doesn't draw us in with his looks. He was despised and rejected by men. He wasn't popular, at least not in the ways we all want to be. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. What catches the thoughtful reader as we look at this text and we remember the life of Jesus is how this just perfectly mirrors Jesus' life 700 years later. People can say to their blue in the face, Jesus was just a really nice He's a really cool dude. I've heard that plenty of times. But if that's all he was, why did people kill him? I mean, the very few friends he had abandoned him, denied him, and even betrayed him. Our hero came and everyone shouted, crucify him. Is that what people do to really nice guys? We'll look further at Isaiah 53, verse 4. We see that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every single one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of his own. This is greatness. This is our hero. I mean, who has the strength to become weak for us? Who came to bear our sorrows? Who was pierced for our unrighteousness? Who was willing to be crushed for our injustice? Who received our punishment in our place so that we might receive peace instead? Whose wounds have the power to heal? This isn't the hero we naturally expect, but he is the one we desperately what makes us so sure that he's a just judge? We find comfort in the conquering king is because he first became a suffering servant. We can find comfort that he loves us and he became broken for us and therefore will lead us in the same form of compassion and justice. Throughout scripture, uh, there's a lot of talk in this kind of hero. And he's frequently called a messiah. Messiah. It's this anointed one, someone who's set apart from others to do a magnificent work of God, usually within a royal line, royal, royal line. And this is why Jesus is called the Christ, because Christ is actually the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is this Messiah. He is the hero, Jesus the Christ. It wasn't like uh, Mary and Joseph Christ or Jesus Christ, but it's a title. 
It's much more a representation of what he is to do in the world and what he has done. And he is this for us. And I, I still can't believe that this was written in Isaiah over 700 years ago, before, or 700 years before Jesus was even born. It describes his life and his death with astonishing accuracy. And some of us may not be convinced just quite. So I want you to look at the scroll. It doesn't come up very clearly from where you're sitting. But this is the Isaiah scroll, and it's one of the oldest known copies of the entire book of Isaiah, including everything we just read. And it's universally dated by scholars from various worldviews, being around 200 BC, 200 years before Christ came. Long before Jesus. And there, so as we see this, we're amazed that this, this would perfectly describe our Savior, our heroes. Life and some of us then even okay that's that's not enough because we'll say how do we even know this is what that Isaiah is speaking about Jesus here was it Isaiah instead he's talking about is he is he talking about himself or is he talking about the nation of Israel to wrestle to be this national suffering servant or fill in the blank I totally understand our wrestling and we need to be thoughtful with the text we need to be asking good questions but I think there are too many peaks that make up this mountain describe hero, or Jesus as the perfect hero. He may not have been the hero we expect, but he's definitely the hero we need. And this hero, he's come, and he's coming again. He's the hero we have. Not just the one we expect, not just the one we need, but the hero we have. He's not merely powerful and just, but he loves us so much that he suffers and he dies on our behalf. In Jesus Christ, we have our hero, so how do we respond such a one? How do, how do we respond to a hero who flips our world upside down? Well, first we hope in him. If he is the true hero, only he can bring rescue. Why hope in anything else? Most of our hero stories in our culture are of men and women who, who surpass impossible odds and become godlike, right? They, they, they cut through, the, 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 through their issues and they become these unstoppable people. They're good Americans. They pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But that's the story as Scripture portrays. It was very God and actually became man. Being utterly holy became totally human and he enters suffering and death to show his love for us. It's a different trajectory that we're moving here. By this, he reveals his great power to save us from ourselves without destroying us. What are you hoping will rescue you from your loneliness? What are you hoping will rescue you from your emptiness, from your anxiety over your financial insecurity? What are you hoping will rescue you from your past, from your pain, from your mistakes, from death? The early church after witnessing the gruesome death of Jesus Christ crucified on the cross, and then three days later encountering the resurrected Jesus Christ bodily, they knew that there was no other hero. There was no other option. And they were willing to die for him because he's died for them and the hope of a coming resurrection. And Peter, we find in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he proclaims before a Jewish council that tells him to stop proclaiming Jesus. He says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They were convinced 
in the Superman, Superman movies, um, when someone wit witnesses Superman flying in the air, what do they say? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. It's whatever you want him to be. The idea of Superman will save you from falling, from falling from a building. No, of course not, right? The first two options are wrong. Superman is a person with a personality which sets him apart from others. He's uniquely Superman. And in real life, Jesus is a person who can save you. The, the only hero who can genuinely save you from our downward trajectory of destruction. Will you hope in him, in him alone, not the idea of God, but the person, Jesus Christ? But don't stop there. For those of you who are following Jesus this morning, we need to be pointing others to him. Why wouldn't we want the world to know? I mean, in almost every superhero movie, what happens when someone's saved? It shows up on the, in the newspaper the next day, right? And we get a little spinny thing, all of a sudden, it's, like, it's, it's against the screen. So-and-so saved from falling from a building by Superman. It's good news. And we want the world to know about it. That's what the gospel is. It's good news that the hero has come. It's good news that we want plastered on every newspaper about what God has done in your life and what he's done in the world and what he will do. And we want to share it to point others to Jesus. Let me give you an example of someone who did exactly that. It's later in the book of Acts, chapter 8. Philip... He's a new follower of Jesus. So for those of you who are newer and following Jesus, don't let that stop you. Um, he runs into this Ethiopian eunuch, a man who didn't know Jesus. And it just so happens the eunuch was reading this very chapter of Isaiah. He was looking for a hero. In Acts chapter 8, verse 30, it reads, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And immediately the man believed that placing his hope in Jesus, he was baptized and followed holistically. And there are many traditions about the gospel spreading in Ethiopia because of this one man. Hope in him and point others to him. Nothing else can rescue you. No one else can be what your neighbor, your family member, or your friend ultimately Jesus is everything. Life without him doesn't disappoint. So not only do we hope in him, not only do we point others to him, but lastly, we wait for him. Yeah, the hero has already come. He came as a baby, he lived a life pointing to justice, and died as suffering, as a suffering servant, but it's pretty obvious that we haven't seen any bears and cows hanging out as friends recently. And I wouldn't recommend you putting your kid in your cobra at any time soon. Not everything promised has been delivered, right? You know this. That's why it's important to see this as a mountain range rather than a fortune cookie. But don't lose hope. It's in the works. And because Jesus Christ not only died, but also defeated death in his resurrection, then we know it's worth the wait. Then we know when we're falling, we will rescue. But how do we do? We take active steps to remember the gospel promise that has been given to us. As Jesus Christ's death, it wasn't the final word of God's work in the world. Neither is your sin, neither is your grief, and neither is your pain in your life. The final word on who you are any longer. We wait for him by working with him to bring about echoes of God's deliverance in our workplaces, in our leisure, 
in our families, in our times of study, here and now, and we create windows into the world that God is calling and will one day renew. We create windows for all those who are around us and to encourage one another about what God will do one day when our hero rightfully rules and judges in all justice. And this morning, in reaffirmation of our hope, we wait together, pointing each other to Jesus at the meal of Lord's Supper. We remember the gospel where the hero we expect became the hero we need and is available to all to have. Moments before, um, Jesus was universally despised and rejected. The night before he bore our grief, was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The night before the darkest day, he took bread and the cup so that we might have life. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until our hero comes.